let's pray. Uh, let's pray for them. Let's pray that God, would ask, uh, that God would help us as we come to his word now. Father, it's been so exciting to see um, your, your gospel taking root in different parts of the world. Um, to see people in France, in uh, Vietnam, uh, in Nigeria, and in many other places to hear of Linda's brother out in Central Asia. Father, so many people taking your gospel to the nations. The opportunities at camp this summer, Father, we pray that your word would be made known. And as we've just sung, Father, we, we ask that you would help us to see Jesus, to see him, to see his heart. And Father, through this word today, would you help us to see like Jesus sees, to see the nations, and help us to obey his command to go as he calls us to go. And Father, please be with us, speak to us today. Speak to the, the minis as well as they head out now and be with them. Help them to see more of Jesus and to know of him, of how great he is. And we pray this all in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Great. Terrific. Um, if you've got Bibles to hand, please do take them up, uh, whether it's on your phone or if you've got a, a physical Bible. As I mentioned at the start of the service, we're in Matthew chapter 28. We're looking at what is often known as the Great Commission. Um, and we're working through it little phrase by phrase. Um, so if you've got it, Matthew chapter 28. And it's so exciting just, this, you know, just hearing from our mission partners, just seeing what's going on in their lives, how they're really thinking about the city. Um, and as I thought about it, they're all in very different places, but the thing that unites and brings, and brings them together is Jesus and, and this, his, his command to us. Um, that's, what we're gonna, that's why we're looking at this um, to, and looking at it more closely. So that's what we're going to do this afternoon. So if you've got it, Matthew 10, 28, verse 16. And let me read from there. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, so we're taking it step by step, a little phrase at a time. And this week we're looking at the, that little phrase, make disciples of all nations. That's what we're focusing on this week. So just, give you, just to let you catch up, if, you've been, if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, uh, we started looking at this series by focusing on that first phrase that Jesus speaks of. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to the risen Jesus. The one who conquered sin and death and rose again and ascended to rule. That is the authority by which he calls us to be his disciples. And then last week, Johnny helped us through this thinking of going and making disciples, to go and share our lives with, with, uh, and the gospel, to share our lives and the gospel together with others so that they might know Jesus is Lord of all. That's where we've got to so far. This afternoon, we're looking at make disciples of all nations. And as we look at this, I wanted to ask you a question. How far can you see? How far can you see? Now, if the astute among you might have noticed that I'm, I wear these glasses, right? And uh, people who know me know that I'm, my, my eyes are really bad. So if I take these off, man, it's really blurry. I really can't make things out. And you, you all look very similar to me at the moment. And so when this happens, you know, when you're a kid and you're playing in the playground and your glasses break, you basically have to sit on the bench on the side because you can't really do anything. You have to sit in your comfort zone where you feel comfortable and safe. But you know, when I put my glasses back on, man, I see things so clearly. 
If you've ever been to the opticians, maybe about 30% of you wear glasses. Maybe you've got contact lenses as well, you're hiding it. Uh, but if you ever go to the opticians, you, you might see one of these things. Not yet. There you go. You see one of these things, right? And you, you, know, you know what those things are for? They're there to test your eyesight. How far can you see? And you, you try and memorize it as you go along to, to pretend. But you always get to a point where you can't see that bottom line. And I want to say to us today, all of us need glasses. All of us need glasses. Not glasses like mine, but gospel glasses. Here's my first hope this afternoon as we look at these, these three words is that all, we would all be able to put on these gospel glasses so that we can see like Jesus sees. Let me explain what I mean. So think about it. Here we are in this final scene. These 11 disciples are gathered here on this mountain in Galilee. That's what we saw in verse 16. They're back in Galilee where it all started, and that is a place they would comfortably call home. Verse 17, some doubted. We saw that honesty from Matthew a couple of weeks ago. And in that, Jesus then comes and speaks to them. And he says, look, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, to the disciples, that sounds good. The disciples feel a bit more comfortable with that. Yeah, this is the risen Lord. We've seen him conquer death. We saw him nailed to a cross, but he's come back to life. He has the power. He has the authority. I can trust in that. They're starting to feel a little bit better about themselves. And by that authority, he then calls these disciples, go and make disciples. At that point, they're thinking, oh, yeah. I can sort of see that. Jesus has been showing us how to do that. He actually sent us out on a mission during his early years of ministry when we went out in two by twos. Oh, I, I, to feel, I, can, I think I can do this. I like this. This is good. Going so well. They're starting to feel a little bit better. And then he says three words of all nations. And the wind is knocked out of their sails. Jesus, do you know how many nations there are? There are 11 of us. Galilee is big enough on its own. But all the nations... What, where are we supposed to start with that? See, I think for most of us, our natural tendency is to tell people who tend to be similar to us, we like to stay at home. We naturally gravitate towards our Galilee, as it were. And I think Jesus knows that. That is why he wants to push our gaze higher and further. As they stand together on this mountain overlooking Galilee, he wants to push their gaze beyond the shores of Galilee towards Judea, to Samaria, right to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. And these three words from Jesus have huge bearing on the history of the world. But you've got to say, that task sounds immense. It's like if I were to ask my daughter, who can barely hold up her head, can you fill in my tax return? You'd be like, <laughs> sounds ridiculous. It's that sort of feeling you get. A lot of us probably moved into London or moving homes and stuff. We had to move house a couple of months ago. And you know you get that feeling when you come down in the morning and there are boxes piled from floor to ceiling everywhere. You can barely move around. And you look at it and go, where do I start? This is crippling. It's that sort of feeling. It's like Frozen Freddy last week that Johnny told us about. Where do I start? What do I do? But get this right. For the disciples, it's not just about the immensity of the task. But this is radical for the, the Jewish people. The Old Testament emphasis has always been on the nation of Israel. So they may have been sitting there thinking, well, we're the true people of God. Why is Jesus telling us to go to the nations? Why is Jesus turning what we understand on its head? If they'd been paying careful attention to the whole of the Bible, they would have seen that God is the God of all nations. See, we've seen that a lot in the past few months together as a church in all sorts of different places. 
Globe Getaway, that's our church day away back in November. We looked at Genesis chapter 10 where God, after the flood of Noah, he sends out all these people in his image into the far corners of the earth in all their diversity. That was God's intention for his glory to be made known. Then we saw Genesis 12 with Abraham. The great promises of I will, one of those promises, Abraham would be the father of many nations. If you join us in our midweek groups, in our focus groups, where we started the book of Jonah, it sounds like we almost sort of planned it, right? God sends Jonah to Nineveh, to a people who are not of Israel. But God still wants them to turn to him. See, this is not something new. This has always been a part of God's great plan. And if the disciples had been paying any attention to Jesus' ministry itself, they would have spotted it. Jesus many times hints at this. But maybe most explicitly, Matthew chapter 12. Listen to this. Um, Matthew spends a lot of time quoting the Old Testament because he, he really wants to link Jesus' ministry to what was prophesied, what was foretold in the Old Testament. And in Matthew 12, he picks up on this amazing quote from Isaiah. Listen to this. This is the quote. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Verse 19, he will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. I love that. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And here is Matthew clearly stating it. Look, this servant, that is Jesus. Jesus is the hope of all nations. Everybody needs to know their source of hope, their only hope, and that is Jesus. See, when Jesus stretched out his arms at the cross, he stretched them out to bring Jew and Gentile to him. He wanted to pull that robber in as much as the Roman centurion at his feet. He wanted to bring life for that Samaritan woman that he met at the well as much as Nicodemus, an established Pharisee to the Jewish people. Jesus' death goes far and wide beyond any single people group. But the thing is, it's not just about ethnicity. This can apply to other ways we see people groups in all their commonality, their culture. See, people need to know that Jesus came not only for the well-polished, well-read Jewish scholars like Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimath... English, not my first language. <laughs> I always find it Arimathea. You know who I mean. But he also comes for tax collectors like Matthew, for those who are blind from birth like Bartimaeus. Jesus came for those who were lame, oppressed, weak, as much as those who were strong and driven like Peter and Paul. If you're here this afternoon and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you need to know this. No matter what culture, which culture you, people group you identify with, however you see yourself, you need to know that Jesus came for you. He gave his life for you so that you might have the joy of hope today and the joy of life in eternity with him. That is who Jesus is. And that is the call for all of us to start seeing like Jesus sees. To put on these gospel glasses so that you will see the nations, that you will see all people groups, whichever way you want to dissect them. And when Jesus rose, he was given all authority on heaven and on earth. Not just a country, not just a continent or two. Not just over Europe or Africa, but over all the earth. Every corner of it. Jesus didn't only die to save people from all the different nations. 
But everybody needs to know that Jesus is Lord of all. That Jesus is both judge and king, and we will one day be held to account before him. I love this. Abram Kuyper, he's a Dutch theologian. He's got this great quote. There is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus does not cry out, this is mine, including the nations. That is a message for every, that everybody needs to hear, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, that there is life and hope only in him. And Jesus is calling us, his followers, to get that message to them so they might hear the, new, the good news of the gospel. Not everybody may respond positively and accept it, but he has called us to go and tell them. So you see, as his disciples stood on this mountain Hearing these words of Jesus, their gaze is started by just looking at the Sea of Galilee and the surrounding regions there. But Jesus keeps pushing them. How far can you see? Put on those gospels. Can you see now? Gospel glasses. Can you see now? Can you see to the ends of the earth? Can you see those you never thought might know me, might see Jesus? And there's a challenge for us. Now, I'm going to spend a lot of time applying this. Johnny last week had nine application points. I'm not going to raise on that. I'm actually going to come down. I'm going to have six. (laughs) But I'm going to answer this question. The first question, how far can you see? The first thing is see like Jesus. See like Jesus. What is the scope? This is a question to ask yourself. What is my scope of my vision with my gospel glasses at the moment? See, I was challenged by this. All this week, as I thought about this, I realized how hard it is to push against that desire to just stay close to home. Just imagine if Jesus had just said, go and make disciples full stop. My natural tendency is to look for those like me, those who are East Asian. That's my comfort zone. That's my Galilee. That's That's probably where I would have stayed. And I love this. I try and justify it. And I look at Peter, the apostle Peter, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I find comfort in him because he's so like me. And you often find that with Peter. He's really comforting because you see yourself and then you realize he's actually doing something bad and then you get challenged. Just remember, Peter was there. He was standing there among the 11. He heard these words from Jesus and in Acts chapter two, he goes out and he preaches this banger of a sermon. 5,000 people come to, to Christ that day. Sometimes I wish Peter were here instead of me. I'm sure sometimes you wish Peter were here instead of me, but I'm sorry that you're gonna have to live with me here for the time being. But look, 5,000 people come to Jesus that day and you, and you note, you can hear these people hearing the gospel in their own tongue. Lots of different people groups gathered in Jerusalem. And you're thinking, wow, Peter's watching this with his own eyes. And you're thinking, man, you're a witness to this amazing thing. Here's the gospel going out to the nations. And then in Acts chapter 10, a few chapters later, God says, hey, can you go and tell this guy Cornelius, who is of the nations, who's a Gentile, and his view shrinks. Peter doesn't want it. He doesn't want to do it. And then God lifts his eyes up. He places these gospel glasses on Peter. And then hear how Peter changes. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I have no right to withhold the gospel from anybody. No matter their background, their ethnicity, their cultural association, everybody deserves to hear about Jesus. But I have those Peter moments all the time. 
And then I come back to the Great Commission. I come back to these other passages I've mentioned, and I realize I've taken my gospel glasses off. I need to put them back on. Now, let me be really clear. I'm not saying just go and look for people, all the people who are different to you and forget about your own people. That is not what I'm saying. The UK is still a nation, and British people need to hear about the gospel too, for sure. But the challenge is, see, the comfort is reaching our dominant cultural group that we're associated with will come naturally to most of us. Because we tend to live in those communities already. That is your Galilee. But the question is, where is your Judea? Where is your Samaria? I still have a massive heart for Koreans. I'm sure you know that. And that comes naturally to me. I see them more easily. It's so easy to see. See, I can take off my glasses and I just know who's Korean. I can smell who's Korean. It's so easy. But I want to see like Jesus sees. Jesus has been challenging me all week to look to the nations. That means to my white British brothers and sisters. That means to my Afro-Caribbean uncles and aunties, to my Indian, Bangladeshi, Vietnamese, Hispanic neighbors. But not only that, but those who aren't just ethnically different from me, but those who haven't had the privileges I've had. You listen to me, if you close your eyes and listen to me without looking at my face, I sound pretty middle class, and I am. But there are plenty of people I know who haven't had my upbringing, haven't been to the schools that I've been to. And we need to admit, class is a major barrier in this country. Am I seeing them? Am I loving them? Those who are from different backgrounds, just as Jesus calls me to. Here's a question for us. Do you see like Jesus sees? Do you see the nations? Do you see those who are different to you? Now, at this point, you might be thinking, that sounds really great, but it's overwhelming. There are so many nations. The world is so huge. Where do I start? Okay, well, let me sharpen this a bit further for you. How far can you see? See the city. That's a theme that I've loved. Kenan and Jana picked up and helped us throughout the service. 70% of the world population in cities. God has created cities not just as cultural hotspots, but for an opportunity for us to do this, to go and make disciples of all nations. See, whether you like it or not, you are here right now in this city called London. Tia told us to look at our feet. We're in here in London. I don't know how long you're here for. You might be here for a few months. You might be here for a few years. But while you're here, I'd love you to see London with these gospel glasses. I was so hopeful that the um, 2021 census would be out by now. They were meant to be out by May like the Northern Line. The Northern Line is opened, I think. Tomorrow? Tomorrow. Let's see. Let's wait and see. Let's see what happens there. But the census, they delayed till June, July. So I'm using stale data. I mean, Canon had two-year-old data. I've got 10-year-old data. But even, even so, it's still a good opportunity for us just to hear what the city's like. Some of you might be familiar with these stats. Some of you might not. Just listen, though. London was, in 2011, 45% white British. That means 55% were from other ethnic minorities. Just some headline figures, 18% Asian backgrounds. 13% from Afro-Caribbean backgrounds. Over 300 languages spoken in London. In inner London alone in 2011, 42.2% were born outside of the UK. You're starting to get a sense of what is going on in London? Okay, here are some other things that you might, want to, you might think of. In Southwark, this is the borough we're in now, in 2011, of secondary, secondary school students, 40% English was not, was not their first language. Across London, 
just under 50% English was not their first language. 80% of pupils were not white British of secondary school. When I go to the playground I, with my kids, not on my head, that's, that's a weird... <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's terrible. Um, when I go to the playground with my daughter, daughters, I very rarely hear English being spoken. I've met with Eritreans, Filipinos, Brazilians, Vietnamese, Polish, all sorts. You see them all the time in London. I found class data a little bit harder to pick up, but here's, here's one way to see it. Of secondary school students, 36% qualify for free school meals. You can sense it when you just walk around the city. If you slow down and walk around and look around at the buildings, you'll see lots of nice new builds, shiny, but you'll see lots of estates. Just talk to some of the people in London and you'll find out. Now, you're starting to get get the picture of the city that we live in. I want us to see that God is bringing the nations here. He's brought the peoples here. They're here already, right on our doorstep. How far can you see? Do you see the many different people groups gathered right here, where you are? Now, I know, look, stats won't change anything, but here's what I know. The gospel will. The gospel does. The gospel is what brings life, and all of these people need to hear about Jesus. Now, get it. The city is still a big city. The city is massive. There are some 7 million people who live in central London. We at this church probably about, we represent about 0.00002% of the population in this city. I think I got my maths right. I should. I mean, I'm Asian. I um, so again, you might be saying, look, that sounds great, but I, I'm starting to see the opportunity, opportunity in the city, but where do I really start? It still feels so daunting. Let me hone it down for you a little bit further. How far can you see? See the person. Let's just start small. Can you see that one person in your area, in your neighborhood, in your flat block, in your building, in your network, in your workplace, just that one person who is from the nations, who is not like you, whether in terms of ethnicity, background, or class, just that one person? Do you see them as Jesus sees them? Not just as a project, an interesting person we can learn about different cultures, but someone made in the image of God, in the beauty of the diversity that God intended, who is different to you, but who still needs to know the Lord Jesus just as much as you did. I find it stark in Matthew's gospel the number of times Jesus has compassion on the people as he looks at them. It means with suffering, compassion, getting alongside people, how he sees those who are often harassed and helpless Do you not want them to know of that compassion? Better yet, do you not want to point them to the one who has true compassion for them, who laid down his life for them? My hope is that many of us will be doing this sort of stuff already, that you will have these gospel glasses on as you see the city. But if this has challenged you this afternoon, even now, why not start thinking? Think back to your neighborhood, to your flat block, and think and look around, that one person who you might want to see as Jesus sees, and start praying for them by name. If you can't think of anyone at the moment, that's no, there's no shame in that. Why don't you pray and ask God that he might open your eyes to see that person? That you would have these gospel glasses so you can see, just as Jesus sees. But here, then here's this important step. Don't just see. Jesus doesn't want to just shift the gaze of the disciples beyond Galilee. He then commands them to go. 
And this is my second hope, that we would go and make disciples of all nations. It's simple. It's just exactly what Jesus commands. And we go with the eyes and heart of Jesus. So I'm going to change the question now. How far can you go? How far can you go? Let's think about that person. Go to the person. As you pray for that particular person in your mind, in your heart right now, pray that God would give you that boldness to step out in faith and talk to them, to love them as Jesus did, to sit with them, to hear their story, to ask questions. Andrew Wilson's a pastor of a church not far from here. I love this quote. He just says, to ask is to love. That's a great way of showing that you love somebody. It shows that you're listening and you're responding. You're showing interest and love for that person. As you ask, you learn, you love, and then you can share life and share the gospel, as Johnny reminded us last week. Find out about them. Listen to them. Love them. Spend time with them. Share food with them. Learn from their culture, their story, their history. Teach them your culture, your story, your history. And then share the gospel with them. Point them to Jesus. Help them to come to meet him and see him and know him, Jesus, Lord of all. Remember those two arms, share life but not without the gospel. Share the gospel but not without sharing life. And I wonder if this is actually a part of the way we can go together as a church. That's a big part of our vision. Because I sometimes think we we hear the Great Commission and we hear it quite individualistically. And we think, oh, I need to do this. I need to go and do this. I need to do this. But remember, Jesus is telling his disciples, plural, to go. He then establishes churches and reminds us, look, we're part of a body of Christ a wonderful gift that he's given us, to go together. So here's one way to go together. Ask people to pray with you for that person. I swear, prayer is the most underused and underestimated tool in our spiritual armory. It's so powerful when we gather to pray together for one another. Here's the second way you can go together. You can ask advice and counsel. There are plenty of people in this room who have experience of other cultures, who've been with other people groups. Ask the evangelism team, the world mission team, the international team. There are plenty of people who can help you. If not, they will know people who can help you, who might even go with you to love and speak to these people. And just imagine this. I said start small with one person. We're about, what, 150 people gathered in this room this afternoon? Can you imagine if God blessed half of those encounters that you had, a third of those encounters that we had, And that would mean 50 people from different backgrounds are suddenly in our church building with us, gathering around us. We're interacting with them. We're sharing life with them, learning from them, walking with them together in the Lord. As we start to display that glory of Christ as every tongue, tribe, and nation gathers around his throne. What an image. Start there. How far can you go? Go to that one person. You don't need to go crazy. But Jesus is calling us to take that that step in faith. Here's a second way. How far can you go? Go to the city. Can you see? It's it's quite obvious. I'm kind of going up and down. Go to the city. For others of us, God may have placed on on your heart a particular group of people, a particular area of London. See, let me ask you. Everybody knows the story of feeding the 5,000. A lot of people know that story. Jesus feeding the 5,000. But how familiar are you with Jesus feeding the 4,000 in Matthew 15? See, they're very similar stories. One of the key differences, in the feeding of the 5,000, he's in a Jewish region. In the feeding of the 4,000, he's in a Gentile region. See, Jesus himself moves towards people groups and areas, not just individuals. So do you see like Jesus sees? Not just for the individual, but perhaps even more for a particular group of people in a particular area, a particular ethnicity, a particular community, a particular state. 
If you see them, could you go towards them? Let me tell you a story about a group of people who were here at the Globe a few years ago. They saw an estate. They saw a need. They put on these gospel glasses for a particular group in the city. And then they began to pray together. And they got open the doors and they went in faith to go and help plant a church on an estate just down the road in Vauxhall. Yeah, you, you know it's Hope Vauxhall. That was 2018. Starting with some 25, 30-odd people. I think there are about 80 now, possibly more. God is blessing that work as people stepped out in faith to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I'm not saying that church planting is the only way. There are lots of different ways we can do that. Like Weber Street is another great example. But, but the point is that God may be instilling something in your hearts this afternoon to see the people, to see the nations and move towards them, towards a particular people group. To not just go and dump the gospel on them and come back, but to go and live with them, to share life with them, to love them like Jesus did. Ultimately, giving them that message of salvation in Jesus Christ. If God is moving your heart that way this afternoon, we would love to hear from you. I'd love to chat to you about that and pray together about that to see how God might be guiding you and then we can go together. Here's the last one. How far can you go? Go to the nations. For some of you, perhaps there's something deeper going on. Let me tell you another story. I have, I have a lot of close ties to Wales, interesting enough. That's because of my wife, because she's a quarter, not me. My wife is quarter Welsh. So I spent more time in Wales in the last five years than my entire lifetime before. But here's another reason why Wales is so close to my heart. Many years ago, there was a guy called Robert Germain Thomas who had seen a great revival in the 19th century. He put on his gospel glasses and he saw, he saw on this map of the world this really strange country sticking out, out of China like an appendix. God made him see that country and that nation. And so he went and he took the gospel to Korea. To cut a long story short, after much challenge, he managed to reach the people there, and they were pretty hostile. And the last time, he stepped off the boat, and he had a Bible in his hands, and he was shouting, Yesu, Yesu, which means Jesus, Jesus in Korean. And then he was killed, struck down, and he was only 27. Some of those Koreans then took the pages of that Bible that he'd thrown, and they used it as wallpaper on their homes, and they just put it in there. And they kept reading it and reading it. And this one person, as he was reading it, kept getting really troubled. And he started to call other people to help him to understand. And they started to basically do a Bible story off the wallpaper. And soon, people started becoming Christians, putting their faith in this man called Jesus. And in 1906, there was this great revival in Korea. Do you know where it started? In Pyongyang, the heart of North Korea. That is where Robert Thomas headed to and was killed. See, today, the nation that is so dear to my heart, South Korea, North Korea, so grateful to this man who saw and who went hundreds of miles in obedience to Christ. The Koreans absolutely love the Welsh. I think the, the Welsh think we're okay. <laughs> but here's the point. World mission still matters hugely today. That is why we partner with Ekitia, with the Tinkers, with Anais, that's why we often pray for them. And you've, you've got to hear this, though. World mission works both ways. There are, if you didn't know this, there are many other nations actually coming back to Europe to bring the gospel here. 
There are people from Africa, from, from Latin America who are saying, we hear that Europe's becoming secularized. We need to bring the gospel back here. Because people are obeying Jesus and saying the nations need to hear. World mission is happening in all sorts of directions. And maybe for some of you, you, as you're hearing that, you're thinking, that is actually on my heart. Maybe deep down there is a nation that you see that God is calling you to go to that you really need to start praying about. See, for some of you, that it might be right that you go with careful prayer and preparation. As, just as Phil was saying, you need to go with humility, not saying I'm the answer to everything. But to point to the answer, that is Jesus. To understand the cultural challenges, to understand the dynamics of the city. But you go. And we as a church would love to support you in that. The World Mission Team would love to have more mission partners. But here's another thought. Think back to that stat I told you. 80% of secondary school kids are not white British. 40% English was not their first language. So just imagine that you're reaching those ones and twos across the city. And as we start reaching more and more of the nations here, they start to come in. They hear the gospel. Their children come. Their children who speak English, who get the culture, but also speak their home language, who know their home culture. And as we love them and come alongside them, as we learn from them and they learn from us, we grow together in Christ. And then suddenly some of them say, I'm, feel, I, I'm, I'm feeling called to go back to my home country. Here are ready-made missionaries who know the language and culture, but are now equipped with the gospel, empowered by the Spirit. Can you imagine the impact? Could that be something we pray for as a church? Look, I've thrown lots of ideas out there this afternoon because I wanted to make this as practical as possible. And hear me out. All of these are good things. None is better than the other. We're all gifted in different ways. All of those options, I think what we're doing is just obeying what Jesus commanded us to do, to go and make disciples of all nations. And my prayer is that we would all ask God to help us to see like Jesus sees and to go as Jesus commands. From that one person on our doorstep to the nations in our city, to the nations in the ends of the earth. So shall we go? Shall we go together? Can we go together in obedience to make disciples of all nations for the glory of Jesus? To the, from, because the one who has the power and authority given to him over heaven and earth, who is the Lord over every square inch of this entire universe, is calling us to do it. Let's let the nations know of him. Let's pray together. Go and make disciples of all nations. Father, that is a huge challenge for us. That is so daunting just to think there are so many nations even gathered here in this city. And yet, Father, you call us to do that. Jesus calls us to do that. And he doesn't leave us alone. He goes with us by the power of his spirit. Father, by your spirit this afternoon, would you help us all to put on these gospel glasses to see as Jesus does, to see the nations. And Father, by your spirit, would you give us that heart to obey and to go so that we may make disciples of all nations for your glorious, glorious name and for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.